Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Oh, and by the way, if you are here in person, you can also do this at home. If you uh, can please stand as able for the reading of God's word. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message uh, is a continuation in our life sermon series that we've been going through this entire school year. And today's message is about right desires. Desire is really what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I just kind of want to just kind of get this out of the way. Today's uh, message is not really going to be talking about sexual desire per se. It's in there, and I'm not saying it's not important, but we're going to be talking about desire in a more broad sense. And uh, just kind of a little plug, I think we're thinking about doing a relationship talk with uh, a campus and postgrad. So we can definitely get into that more (laughs) when we do that uh, later this semester. But yeah, friends, desire is something that is really big in life. It is something that drives us. And, you know, probably for many of us, we're like, okay, desire is not bad, right, Pastor Steve? I mean, we all have desires. But I will say, as you can kind of see in the, the title of the sermon, today's sermon is about right desires. That maybe some of us have desires that aren't right or desires that are maybe like, too much, if I can put it that way. I, if you have seen somebody whose desires are out of whack a little bit, you know it's kind of weird and kind of annoying. I present to you a case study. I know this is a fictional <laughs> uh, example, but have you guys seen uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Um, there, there's a character named Veruca Salt. And Veruca Salt is this really spoiled kid whose dad is like super rich and so she gets whatever she wants. So if she's like, Daddy, I want a pony. Guess what's going to show up that day? There's going to be a pony. And so in the movie, she's like, Daddy, I want the Wonka's golden ticket. I want it now. And so her dad buys up all of the Wonka uh, uh, chocolate bars that she can find, that he can find, and pays all these people to, to unwrap them. And so, of course, she wins the golden ticket. And when she gets there, she gets in trouble because she wants a squirrel that can... <laughs> Like, open the nuts and, uh, yeah, so it's this whole thing. I'm not going to get into it. Spoilers. But, um, you know, this this whole kind of like, like yeah, even as you're seeing this gif loop of this little girl just yelling, I don't care how I want it now. That's my British accent, by the way. I know it's terrible. (laughs) I can't do accents. But uh, um, she British? I can't remember. But um, this kind of like spoiled you know, brat. You know, I think all of us, to be honest, like we have a little bit of a Veruca salt within us, right? Like we, we definitely want things and, and we want it, you know, but friends, even if it's like a little bit not as dramatic as like a Veruca salt, I think there is a sense in which we know that our desires can maybe lead us in a place away from Christ, 
you know? And, but it's something that I think is just ubiquitous in our society. Like, everyone has desires, and we, we think of it as a, like, sometimes a good thing. You know, maybe just to a lesser degree. You know, you look at something, and you just want it, right? That, like, like, in the passage today, it talks about lust. And there's a, a kind of lust that we have when we see something. We see, like, I don't know, there's, like, a commercial, or you see, like, this sleek new car. I don't know, the latest Tesla, or... My dad like really wants a Cybertruck, and if you guys know my dad, uh, if you guys knew my dad, you would know that that's hilarious. I can't imagine him driving this space age looking thing, but he he just like man, he does so much research on the Cybertruck, and he's he's <laughs> he's like uh, he he's you know on the waiting list for it, and man, he can't wait. And I don't know if there's anything like that in your life that you're just like I want it. I want it. I want it so bad. You know, um, I mean, this, this is from uh, Iron Man 2. If you guys saw, saw this, this is when uh, Tony Stark sees Black Widow for the first time and he sees her in action. He's like, I want one. And, you know, that's kind of appropriate because, uh, friends, I know we are talking about, or at least Jesus is talking about lust in this passage. But, friends, there is a way in which we, with our lust, we make people into objects. And, and so um, there is that similar thing of like wanting something. And friends, uh, again, maybe some of you are thinking, but Pastor Steve, what is wrong with desire? Aren't we supposed to have passion and desire and be driven and have something that's like, you know, motivating you? And, and, and it, there's that thing that just kind of pulls you magnetically. Friends, so I just want to kind of fill you in on where we've been. We have been talking about life and how the kingdom of God actually intersects with your real life, not just life after you die. That's a very clever thing that the church has done. We've taken the kingdom of God, and we've made it after we die so we don't have to deal with it, right? It's like, oh, I can do whatever I want here, and if I just believe in Jesus, I get the kingdom of God later. That is not what Jesus says, right? If you see Jesus' message, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, Right now, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's not about, right, if you, this is like Jesus' best-known sermon, right? His seminal teaching is here. And seriously, look at it, read it, read the entire thing. How many times does he just talk about, like, hey, just believe in me? Then you die and you go to heaven and you're, you're good. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about actual life. By the way, friends, I believe it's true that if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, right? If you want your life to be entwined with Jesus, Jesus' life is never ending. But it starts now. Make no mistake about that, right? And so we've been talking about, well, how do we actually apply that into life? And last week we talked about anger. That's where Jesus starts with anger, right? And and one of the things we talked about last week is how anger drives you. Right? It's like this force that is like pushing you. you know, like I, I described it as a wave. If you're in the ocean and there's this tide that's just pushing you out, and it's so easy to just turn around and just be like, okay, anger, take me away. And it does, right? And friends, you know, throughout this, this whole year, we have been talking about kingdoms. And with kingdoms, you have a king. You have someone who's supposed to lead you. That's one of the things we hardly ever talk about when we talk about the kingdom of God. We don't think about what it actually means. There's a king who's in charge, and he does want to lead your life. 
There's all kinds of things that will try to lead your life if you don't have this king, right? I, I mean, we just talked about one, anger. And now this is another one, lust and desire. It drives you. It motivates you, right? It brings you places. And so that's why Jesus goes there next. So let's take a look at what he says. So Jesus here is doing this, this, this thing in, in his talk where he says, you have heard it said, right? In the law, there was this very absolute concrete law and all y'all took it very legalistically. But I want to show you the heart behind the law. And I want to show you how to fill out the law, right? So last week he said, you have heard it said, do not murder, right? But I tell you, don't be angry. And I tell you, don't insult. And I tell you, don't call someone a moron, right? And he starts to fill it out uh, of, of what the intent of the law is. And he does the same thing here. So he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so, friends, you know, there is this very, you know, clear command about adultery, you know, and, and I, I think you all know what that is, right? It's, it's the, the sexual act with somebody who's not your spouse. And so that is very clear. But what Jesus is doing is he's closing that loophole because there's a lot of room in between before you get to that point, right? And he's like, you can look at someone with lustful intent, and I'm telling you that this is sin, right? That this is wrong. And so he's not just trying to lay down a new law, but he's trying to root this thing out of our heart. So friends, I already told you that we're not going to get into as much about sexual desire. Um, but friends, I, I want you to see Jesus is not only talking about sexual desire. How do we know this? Because he's dealing specifically with adultery. He could have said sexual desire is wrong. But then, of course, well, what are you going to have in a marriage? There's definitely sanctioned sexual desire, right? I mean, you should have that in a marriage. So he's not completely eliminating that. He's saying the wrong desire, Right? What is adultery, friends? Adultery is this thing that you do with somebody who is not your husband or your wife. They're not for you. So I want to give you this, this definition of adultery. I made this up, by the way. But like, like what we're talking about here, adultery is wanting to have that which is not yours. Right? There's somebody that's for you. Now, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of, like, the concept of the one, like, you have a soulmate, which, by the way, the soulmate thing, it's not Christian. That, that's a Platonic thing. But anyways, <laughs> it's very popular in our culture. I don't know where you guys fall on that. That's not what this message is about. Come to the relationship talk that we're going to have later. We can talk more about it. But, friends, I do know this. Once you have married someone, guess what? Now that's the one, <laughs> right? That's the person for you, right? That's the commitment, and that's the vow you're making. Right? And yes, that person is completely for you. It's great. It's a wonderful thing. But there are many people who get to a point where they're like, mm, you know, I actually want something else. I want someone else. Right? And what Jesus is saying very clearly is, and, and the law is like, that's not for you. <laughs> right? This is for you, your spouse, they're for you. That's not for you. 
And so for many of us, we have this way of all these things that we want, right? And your heart is going to lead you there. And there's this rightness that we feel. And so there's sometimes people actually justify adultery by saying, well, it feels good. If it feels so good, how can it be wrong? Have you guys heard that? If it feels so good, how can it be wrong? And Jesus is saying, because it's not yours. (laughs) Just because you want it. It doesn't mean it's right. And friends, I got to tell you, in the modern world that we live in right now, that makes no sense to us. Because to us, wanting something and, and rightness is the same thing. It's like, well, why did I do that thing? Why did I eat that donut? Because I wanted to, right? Why, why did I go talk to that girl or talk to that guy? Because I wanted to. Why did I apply for that job? Right? Why did I go into this field? Because I wanted to. I felt like it. Right? That, by the way, friends, if I may be so bold, I hope you guys understand what I'm saying when I say this. That's our God. <laughs> it's the thing that leads us. It's the thing that guides us. It's the thing we listen to. And so if Jesus, if God wants to be the king, if he wants to be the God of your life, we've got to deal with that. The wrong desires placed in wrong places, right? That's what we're trying to root out. And friends, some of you may be thinking like, well, Pastor Steve, you know, what's so wrong with that? What's so wrong with wanting certain things? Is that so bad that we have certain desires? I mean, I wanted this thing. So what? Well, what, one thing is that I don't know if you have dealt with desire before. I'm sure you all have, right? But once you get it, what happens? Are you like, yes, now I got everything that I want. I have no more desire. I'm good, right? That's actually, I think, part of the messaging that we have. Like, I need to have this. I need to have this. There's a sense in which we feel like we're not complete until we have it, and then you get it, and guess what? You're not complete. You, you, now you're going to have to find a new desire. <laughs> you're going to have to find a new thing to chase. And uh, this was a really old 007 movie back in the day called The World Is Not Enough. And I've never seen it, by the way, but I like the title. I think that's very indicative of the way desire works. The world is not enough. You could have the entire world. You could have everything you want, and it's never going to be enough. It's never, never. Jesus doesn't want you to live that kind of life. Right? Where you're always just like, oh, oh, I need it, I need it, I need it. He wants to satisfy your every desire. Right? But it has to be the right desires and the right objects. You need both of those. And for many of us, <laughs> we have the wrong desire and the wrong object. Your desires are leading you in the wrong direction. And the thing that you're trying to get it's not really the best thing for you, right? And so, friends, um, you're going to see this thing that uh, Jesus talks about. How do we deal with this? How, how do we actually solve, then, the wrong desires that we have? And so um, Jesus says this thing that, by the way, sounds so weird and controversial. I don't know about you, about you guys, but if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've read the Sermon on the Mount many times before, and you just gloss over this. But if you really take it seriously, oh my gosh, it's so weird, right? I seriously, like, like when I've read this scripture and I was taking it seriously, I was like actually paying attention. I was like, what in the heck does Jesus mean? 
right? Guys, read it with me. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So one of the members of your body, right? And so friends, is Jesus telling us to pluck out our eyes if we you know, have lust there? Or to, to cut off our arm if you're trying to reach out and grab something that's not yours? I mean, for one, none of us have taken this literally, right? Because I see, I think you guys all have eyes, right? I think you guys all have arms, right? I, you can see very plainly that I do too, right? And this is another example. It's so, so much of what Jesus is talking about. There are some things that, yes, he doesn't mean this literally. I mean, he definitely doesn't mean this literally because we, we don't have an account of just, you know, the disciples just being stubs, right? You know, but there is something here. And I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm going to tell you probably the most common interpretation of this. And then I want to tell you a newer interpretation that I've read recently that I think really captures the heart of what Jesus is after. So for me, um, the way that I used to read this, and probably the most common thing is like, look how seriously you need to take sin, right? Don't mess around, right? Don't mess around and just think you can just play with the sin and it's no big deal. Ah, I looked at this thing like, no, if it were to help, if it did help for you to tear out your eye, then that's what you should do right? You should take some extreme measures. And so there's some people that are like, you know, I'm never going to look at a woman, right? I'm never going to look at a guy that's like good looking. I mean, maybe they are good looking, maybe they're not. I'm just not going to look at them, right? I'm just going to go around life and I'm just going to wear like really dark glasses. So I never see anyone, you know, I'm going to have a mask for my eyes, you know? And it sounds kind of silly, but some people might think that that's what you're supposed to do. But very clearly, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about, right? I do think there is a good word. And, and if that's how you, 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 you hear it and that's what you feel like the Spirit is, is leading you in, that you need to take your sin more seriously, great. But I, I want to um, share with you uh, Dallas Willard, who wrote The Divine Conspiracy, which has this brilliant treatise on the Sermon on the Mount and has really kind of changed my life and changed the way that I see the Sermon on the Mount says that he thinks what, he's, what Jesus is trying to point out is that if, you were, if it were help to, to help for you to take out your eye so that you wouldn't have any more lust or desire, yeah, definitely do it. <laughs> if it were to help, or if you were to take off your arm, right? Like, like if that did help, then do it. But if you think about it for even five seconds, what would it do? If you took out one of your eyes, would it stop you from ever lusting or desiring? I don't think so. Or if you removed your arm, would it stop you from sinning, lusting? Of course not. Because that's not where lust and desire comes from. Right? And so, (laughs) Dallas Willard thinks that Jesus, in a way, he's trying to show you that his kind of righteousness goes beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were all about external stuff. They're like, yeah, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't look at that. 
And Jesus is trying to show you it doesn't work. So I'm going to share with you a quote because I think Dallas Willard says it better than I could. Uh, This is from The Divine Conspiracy. He says, in their view, and he's talking about the religious leaders, the law could be satisfied and thus goodness attained if you avoided sinning. You are right if you have done nothing wrong. You could avoid sinning if you simply eliminated the body parts that made sinful actions possible. Then you would roll into heaven a mutilated stump. But so far from suggesting any advantage before God um, could actually be gained in this way, Jesus' teaching in this passage is exactly the opposite. The mutilated stump could still have a wicked heart. The deeper question always concerns who you are, not what you did or do. What would you do if you could? Eliminating bodily parts will not change that. Right? So what Dallas Willard is saying is that Jesus is trying to show you, it ain't here, it ain't here, it's here, it's in your heart. That's where we need to deal with the stuff. By the way, sorry for those at home when I tap the mic, (laughs) I hear it's pretty loud at home, so sorry about that. But I want to show you, friends, another passage that talks about very similar things. And you're going to see that, that... the, the teaching is about trying to go deeper, deeper into your heart, not just your actions. So this is James chapter four. This is uh, Jesus's little brother, James. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, and really the Greek word for passions is pleasures. Um, it's the same word where we get hedonism, right? The, the uh, pursuit of pleasure. And by the way, this is a little uh, Bible reading uh, uh, tip. You might have noticed that oftentimes I'll like say, hey, this is what it means in the Greek. And some of you are, might be like kind of frustrated by that when you're trying to read the Bible on your own. You're like, well, I don't have Pastor Steve in my pocket always telling me what the original Greek is. What hope do I have? And by the way, you don't need Pastor Steve in your pocket because your Bible already does it for you. Have you noticed there would be like these little footnotes by certain words? And when you look at it, sometimes it, depending on your translation, it'll say like Greek. It'll tell you in the Greek, this is what it means. Or it'll say or. And usually or, unless it says some translations. If it says some translations, it means we have some translations that mean this, some translations that mean that. But when it says or, it's almost always giving you the literal translation from the Greek. So there's a little tip. If you guys are ever reading your Bible and you see that little footnote, go read the footnote and see what it says. If it says or, oftentimes that's going to be the literal Greek meaning. And so... um, he says, you know, is, is it not this, what, what's causing quarrels and fights and so much anguish in this life? It's these passions, this desire for pleasure, the NRSV translated as cravings, this desire that we want what we want, that these are at war within our members, within our members. You guys remember, remember, remember what Jesus was talking about when he says, hey, if you could remove this sin by cutting off a member, right? An arm, a leg, an eye, then definitely do that. <laughs> but what, what, what is James telling us, right? You have this desire, this craving that is now infecting your members. It's infecting the whole body. So you guys know this. If you want to deal with an infection, you don't just cut off the thing that's infected, you have to go to the source. And that's what Dr. Jesus is trying to do here, 
right? You desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, friends, there's a lot of things going on here. But, right, this, this thing, you desire and you don't have it, and it drives you crazy. And people will kill over that. Right? They're like, oh man, I need to have this thing. I got to. It's my right. It just feels so right. I gotta have it. And I think James is being pretty clear. That's not from God, guys. Right? That's something else. But by the way, I just want to show you how wicked our hearts can be. When people teach on James, uh, this passage, instead of taking the totality of what he's talking about, Oftentimes, the one part that sticks out from James is just this one part. You do not have because you do not ask. Like, see, you just ask God for what you want. God will give you what you want. Did you not hear <laughs> all the other stuff he was talking about? Right? Like, like, like you, you got to ignore a lot to get there, to say, like, right? Like, there's some preachers that'll be like, ask God if you can win the lottery. <laughs> ask God for that promotion. Ask God for this thing and he'll give it to you. Ask God for money. He's going to give you money. What? What? You got to read this again, right? You desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then the follow-up verse is, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your, and again, the word in Greek is pleasures to spend it on your pleasures, on what you want, what you desire. You're not asking God what he thinks you should have. You're saying, God, this is what I want. Can you give it to me? And friends, by the way, it's actually not the worst thing to ask God for that because you may not know exactly what God wants for you. So I am definitely not telling you to not ask God for things that you want. But I'm telling you this, if you want God to be your king, prepare for the answer to be no. Prepare for the answer to be no. There's nothing wrong with asking, right? Just like a child who has a loving relationship with their parent will ask, you know, daddy, daddy, I don't know why he has to be British. Daddy, can I have that cupcake? What's a British thing? Can I have a biscuit? I don't know. (laughs) And the dad's like, no, that'll, that'll ruin your appetite kid. <laughs> Your teeth will rot. I don't know why the dad is American and the kid is British, but you know, like, like you don't always give the kid what he wants, and it's not because you don't love them. It's because you love them, because you know there's something better for them, right? And so, friends, there is a, a, a wrongful asking. It's not that it's bad for you to ask for things that you don't want, but the, the, the thing is, it, what's off is our actual desires, the things you want are not the things of God. And so God's not going to give them to you, right? And then James kind of lays into them a little bit. Um, James is a harsh letter, man. It's a wake-up call. He says, you adulterous people. Mm, You guys see that? What have we been talking about? What, what, What were we talking about just before? Jesus was talking about adultery. And here James used the same word, you adulterous people. You want something that is not yours to have, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And so we want the things of the world. 
We want to be friends with it. We want to be friends with all this money and all this prestige and all this power and all these things, and we want it. And he says, friendship with the world is enmity with God, is hatred with God. Jesus says something very similar. He says, you cannot love God and money. You're going to love one and serve one, and you're going to hate one, right, and and despise it and not, not obey it, right? You can't have it both ways, right? It says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He yearns jealousy for that spirit. What is a spirit, friends? What do spirits do? Someone said it. Can you say it louder? What do spirits do? Lead. Yes. Do I have to do it, guys? Do I, do I have to? You guys know oceans? Spirit, lead me where the trust is with the borders. Just kidding. Uh, well, I'm not kidding, but <laughs> it does say that. I'm not going to keep going. Um, spirit leads. Spirits lead. That's what they do, right? That thing within you that decides what I do and what I don't, that is your spirit. And the whole goal of the Christian life is to say, my spirit is going to be led by the Holy Spirit. I am going to want what God wants. I'm going to go where God wants us to go, right? And so that's why uh, James says in, in Scripture, he's quoting Scripture, that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He yearns jealously, I want your spirit, and I want you to want what I want for you. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those who would submit, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does that mean, to be double-minded? It's like you have two wills, right? You have this thing that you're like, okay, I kind of want this, but I kind of want this. And this, I think, is the state of pretty much every Christian, <laughs> right? For many of us in this world, including your pastor, I was sharing with uh, the praise team before we, we got up here, and my prayer request was, I've been very convicted by this sermon. It's hard. It's really hard. You know, and there's so many things that I see that, that I, I want. I just want them. I was sharing with them. I was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to share this in the sermon. Guys, I'm going to share this in the sermon. I've been like really addicted to eBay, you know? And, and just this whole week, I've just been on eBay, and I'm like, I'm about to preach a message about lust and desire <laughs> and wrong lusts and desires. And friends, I'm just sharing that with you because we all have these struggles. We all have these things I like. I want it. I want it. I didn't stop to pray, do I need this, or God, is this for me? I'm just like, but I want it, right? And, and I think, like, if you were to ask me, well, Pastor Steve, wouldn't you rather have what God has for you? I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. But I also want this. <laughs> we're double-minded, right? And so we need to be cleansed. We need to bring that before God. We need to confess that so that we can become wholehearted people. And so I, I want to show you, this is Matthew chapter 7. Um, 
where it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So friends, I want to be very clear. Again, what did James say? You don't receive because you didn't ask. And so some of y'all are are saying, and and I got to tell you, I think we use this as the ultimate loophole. We're like, well, I don't know what God wants for me. (laughs) If I don't know what God wants for me, then how could I want it? Right? I I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do. And we use that as an excuse to just chase what we want. Right? We're like, well, I got to live my life, right? So I, I got to buy stuff. I got to do things, right? But that's why consistently James is like, well, you don't know because you didn't ask. And that's what Jesus himself says, ask and it will be given to you. If you want to know what God wants for your life, ask him. If you want to know what is yours, ask him, right? And he goes on to say, Or which of one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? If you ask God, God, what is for me? What is your will for my life? Who do you want me to date? Where do you want me to go to school? What do you want me to do for my, uh, in my life? Do you think God's going to tell you something bad? Do you think he's going to ruin your life? Take away all of the joy? Right? That's why Jesus is talking in this way, where he says, look, even earthly parents who, who are evil, and this is Jesus' words, not mine, they're not perfect. They're sinful, broken human beings. They know how to give good things to their kids. If you ask for something, Daddy, can I have a scone? You're like, scorpion, right? That wouldn't happen, right? We know that. But friends, how often do we think that about God? I think if we're being really honest, seriously, take a moment and consider. I think many of us, we don't ask God because we're afraid of the scorpion. We're afraid God is going to, um, (laughs) Dallas Willard calls it the, uh, um, the go to Africa prayer, where it's like you're so afraid that you're like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And he's like, go to Africa and be a missionary. And we're like, no. And Dallas Willard says that. He's like, God knows your heart. You know, if you're really not ready for Africa, you really don't want to Africa, go to Africa, do you think he's going to send you to Africa? Do you think that's the kind of God that you serve who's just going to ruin your life? <laughs> and just give you bad news left and right, and like the hardest, most difficult things, that's what God is going to ask of you? That doesn't sound like a good God. That sounds like a masochist, right? Is that the God you serve? Or do you believe that if you earnestly came before God, and you're like, God, I I want you to be king in my life. I want your spirit to lead. Show me what I should be wanting. Give me the right desires, Show me what you want me to do with my life. Friends, I I have to think. I I, I believe that a good God is going to give you good things. So the thing we most need is the thing most of us will not ask for. It's what God wills for you. What God wills for you, right? This is uh, in the Lord's Prayer. We pray this all the time. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Richard Rohr, uh, when he teaches on this, he says, your kingdom come means my kingdom go. I don't get to be the one in charge anymore. I don't get to say, mm, God, I have ultimate veto power, right? We're not enlisting God as a consultant, right? The way that you talk to your friend, you're like, hey, which job should I pick, right? Like, where should I go to school? Oh, do you think I should date this guy? You know, and, and then they tell you something, you're like, mm, yeah, I didn't want to hear that. And you just do whatever you wanted anyways. Some of us, we treat God in that way. But if you're really serious when you pray, your kingdom come, you're saying, I don't get to pick anymore. I know it's hard, friends. I'm telling you, I am not 100% there. But that's where we are going. To be able to say, we are the kinds of people who want to want what God wants for us. We want to have godly desires, right? Because God, if he knows everything, and if he loves you, what he wants for you is the absolute best. Why would you get second best when you could have the best that God has for you? Why would you get, I mean, to be honest, so many of the things that we choose, right? You choose and you're like, why did I want this? <laughs> why was this such a big deal? It's so disappointing, right? Friends, if I can make a guarantee, can I be so bold to say this? I think Jesus makes the guarantee. You will not be disappointed if you live this kind of life. Dallas Willard was a man. I've been reading a lot about Dallas Willard and reading a, a spiritual biography on him. And he was a guy who, um, you know, he really loved the word of God and wanted to teach it. But as he was praying and considering, he felt that God was calling him into, like, just academics. He became a philosophy professor. Not Christian philosophy, just, just a philosophy professor. And, and it gave him many, many opportunities to reach out to people that he never thought he would. If he had it his way, he would have been a pastor. But he really felt like God was leading him in this direction, and so he did it. And there were times where um, the philosophy was going in a different way. And he could have chased that and become much more successful as a professor. Much more, he, he would have been published more, he would have been much more known, right? But he's like, no, that's not what God is calling me to do. And his life went in a different direction. He became a Christian author and speaker. And he lived this amazing life, but there were many things that he did not get to have. Because God said, that's not for you. This is for you. And at the end of Dallas Willard's life, there are multiple people who've said this, who were in the room when it happened, that right before he died, he just said, thank you. And everyone in the room knew that Dallas Willard was not talking to the people in the room. They knew who he was talking to. He was talking to the king that he had followed his entire life. And at the end of his life, all he had in his heart was not regret over the things that, that he didn't get to do, right? Or this feeling like, God, how, why did you make me, you know, give up these things and why did I get as much money? Just in his heart, as somebody who wanted to follow the king, wanted his desires to be, God's desires to be his desires, his final words were thank you. That's the kind of life I want to live. I don't know about you, friends. But I, I want to um, close with this. 
and, and this is just going to be kind of our prayer. Um, I want to read for you uh, Psalm 23, because it is, I think, in many ways, the kingdom heart. Right? I'm not going to put it up on the screen. We're just going to have this blank screen, because I just want you to listen. Um, and friends, I, I, I tell people, here's another tip. Um, if you want to start memorizing scripture, if that's something that you want, I want to encourage you to start with Psalm 23. And it's something that for me, um, <laughs> I have told people this before, that I used to start the day with Psalm 23, and it would be like I would either read it or recite it in my heart before I began my day. And you know what I've been doing lately? First thing I do in the morning? I check eBay. Maybe there's some good deals in the middle of the night. No one got to them yet. I'm just being honest with y'all. And this morning, I was so tempted to do it. It's in my body, right? It is in my members. My members are like, eBay, right? But there was a part of me this morning, maybe it's because I was going to preach on this. I'm like, let's read Psalm 23. I will read this for you right now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the heart of somebody who wants to follow the lead of their good shepherd. Friends, as we close here, um, I want to ask you, what is keeping you from praying this prayer? Your will be done, not mine. Your desires be my desires. Your will be done, not mine. Your desires be my desires. We're going to go into a time of communion now. And communion is about the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, where he was absolutely being led by the Spirit of God, right? He wasn't doing what he wanted to do. Because, I mean, the, the human side probably would not wanted to die on a cross, right? But that was the will of God for him, and that was good. And he shared one last meal with his friends, and some of the people there, they portrayed Jesus. And when he was doing that, um, by the way, if you're doing this at home, uh, you can go get your bread or your juice. Um, I hope you can still listen to this part. But as he was sharing in this meal, um, he said, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then similarly, during the meal, he took a cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of many sins. And we believe, friends, that what Jesus did for us was he wanted to share with us his life and his death. That Jesus died to cover all of our sins and we get to share 
now in his death. And when we share in his death, we share in his life, the good life that God has prepared for all of us. I want to pray over the elements before we, um, then I'll explain how we're going to do this communion. But let's pray over these elements. God, we thank you for the bread and the cup. We pray that they will become to us these powerful symbols of all that you have done for us, of your great and gracious love that has conquered sin and death itself, that we can participate in this and we can share in your death and thereby share in your life. Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful gift you have given us. We love you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we are going to, in a moment, um, for those who are here in person, um, you, you can kind of like come down the middle and you can kind of come two at a time and I'll, I'll look at you. I'm not going to obviously give you the bread or the juice, but I, I will just say to you the body and blood of Jesus given for you. Right? And then you can go off to the sides. You can grab your bread and your juice. And if you can go back uh, around the aisles and come back to your seats and enjoy, enjoy uh, the body and blood of Jesus that was given for you. And we believe, uh, so this is, uh, Living Grace Ministry is a United Methodist Church. And in the United Methodist Church, we believe that communion is meant to be an open table. And that means that all are welcome to participate. And we believe that um, because we believe what earns you the right to come to this meal is what Jesus did for you, not your own goodness, not anything that you perform. And so it is freely given, so freely receive as, as, as you are ready to do so. And so... Um, yeah, friends, uh, the body of Christ, which is broken for you. Sorry. The blood of Christ shed for you. And you can say thanks be to God, or you can just receive it. Um, you can be like, woo, if you want, uh, just w- whatever, whatever you want. Um, but friends, as you're ready to receive, if you could come and receive of these elements, I would encourage praise team to come first. <laughs> and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you. Praise team, do you guys want to come up for closing praise?
Friends, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much, Lord, for um, who you are and all that you've done for us. And God, that uh, your son did all of this while following your will. And God, we pray, Lord, just for us, that we may be the kinds of people who can ask earnestly, God, what is your will for us? What is your desire for us? And that we can learn to have your desires be our desires. That we can learn to have the life, God, that, that you would want for us. A good life. Because you are a good God. We thank you, Lord, so much. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.